As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, Water Code Radio presents the greatest podcast in the world, the Marketech Samuel Plan, the Devil's Advocate Shinobi, the Lunatic King Marek, and single-syllable mother, the right side of the pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. It's Sup, Lords of Pain, and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday, and we are resuming our Match of the Decade series, um... Just for those of you that missed part one. Well, first of all, stop listening to this and go and listen to part one. But uh, <laughs> now that you have done that, <laughs> yeah, charm the audience as ever. Now that you have done that, um, it is part two of our look back through um, the wrestling decade. Because, of course, 2020 uh, dawns at the end of this year. And, you know, it's time to start having a look back at what this decade. What do we actually call this decade? The teens? The I don't even know what you'd call it. Um, Twenties. Oh, it's just it's it's uh it's all a mess really. There's no name for it, but it was a decade that had wrestling in, and um, we got up to the dawn of 2014 last time around. Um, so I guess where we'll kind of pick up is with um. Uh, probably I imagine the first thing that really stands out to us about 2014 is that first Shield v. Wyatt's match, which took place, of course, at Elimination Chamber 2014. Oh, actually, thinking about it, no, we've got Bray Wyatt v. Daniel Bryan, haven't we? Oh, we do. How long ago does that match seem now? The fact that I forgot about it to start with and then only just remember because I mentioned the Wyatts is, I guess, is a, a sign of how far Bray Wyatt has sadly fallen since since that night because looking back those two matches the daniel bryan match and then the first shield match were the height of bray wyatt's career and he never got back there really when you think about it yeah unfortunately the next three were john cena matches um but yeah i mean he looked like an absolute star at that point didn't he going over the hottest guy in the company in bryan um in an absolutely fantastic match at Royal Rumble. I mean, you know, we raved about it, raved about it, raved about it, and we know that that uh, what happened later that night, we <laughs> we talked a lot about it at the time. However, you know, it it was that match which was just one of the absolute finest undercard Rumble matches of all time. I've called on it a little bit since it happened. I've seen it back a couple of times and stuff. Yeah, I enjoy it, but I don't, I'm not as high on it as I was sort of in the midst of all that frenzied uh, storyline that, that was so effective at the time. Um, I think it's... 
Maybe, I don't, I, I'm not sure why I've called on it actually now I think about it, but I, I just I guess I just don't. But it's still, you know, I mean, it's still very, very good. But yeah, if, if if we're talking the span of a decade, I'm not sure how high up it'd be on my list anymore. It, it's interesting. I I kind of went the opposite way. I remember being the one of the four of us who thought, yeah, that was really good, but maybe not. I wasn't as crazy high on it as some of some people on Twitter and the LOP verse were. And I think I've appreciated it more since then, maybe because Brian had to take time out and it was a reminder of, of what he could do wrestling that style that he wrestled back then. Of course, he has had to calm it down a little bit um, since his comeback. And I think, you know, it was probably the height of that risk taking Brian style. I mean, it was like real whirling dervish stuff. And I think it's also worth remembering that as a storyline, I know a lot of people criticised him during the White Valley. But I remember we being all in on it, the whole reveal of him, you know, taking off the boiler suit and doing the yes chant from the top of the cage. Um, and I remember doing a Pond episode um, the day after that episode of Raw. And we did, you know, back then we did sometimes record on a Tuesday. And I always remember sort of you know, Maz and Joey bullying me into getting home from work as well as I could so I could watch that segment and we could record about it um, because it was it was like a really big deal at the time. So it is, it is certainly, I think, as far as those classic undercard matches go, and of course you don't get as many of them in WWE as you used to get just because of the fact that everything's a bloody title match and this was an undercard match but it's a story match and not a title match and therefore I think it stands in my good graces all the more for that too. Very true. I mean, I'd be interested in watching that tag team cage match back. Um, I, I have not watched that since it happened, and I have, other than the ending, I have no memory. I'd be interested to see the quality of that match because the Brian Wyatt thing was one of those stories where you knew full well what the end game was the minute that they instigated it, but it was about how the story played out from that point. I thought it was done well as a, as a, uh, you know, as, as a kind of sidebar to the wider narrative. That was happening at the time, and it, and that's I mean that's something else isn't it, that we miss now. It's the WWE's ability to um, that ability they've shown in the past that they have of having a longer running story playing in the background, but then being able to seg you into shorter uh, shorter narratives sort of to allow that to play out. Um, I mean, for example, you compare the fact that Brian was really feuded with the authority, but you know he had that Wyatt diversion. Um, and why it was really feuded with Cena, but had the Shield diversion. And then you think about how bungled the Rollins Triple H thing was, which had a long build, where you know they instigated it, and instead of being able to tell that story while seguing into other stuff, they were completely unable to do that effectively. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I think the other thing to say about about this time was that they allowed you to imagine what the end game was and they allowed you to kind of like use your imagination because I remember at the time this line from Bray Wyatt about attacking Daniel Bryan being you know the devil made me do it and we were like oh my god Bray Wyatt's in the pay of Triple H and you know as it turned out he wasn't at all it was just Bray Wyatt you know doing his own thing for his own ends but it was amazing to kind of think of this idea of oh is Triple H Bray Wyatt's puppet master and we all got into you know all kinds of crazy theories about it didn't we at the time so there were there, there were a few things like that at the time as well because you I remember like on, on a Raw there was like a, a, a mini confrontation between Brock Lesnar and Batista 
uh, and everyone immediately thought that that was the seeds planted for a Brock Lesnar versus a team match. And I, I very distinctly remember saying at the time, no, no, look, it's just it is in itself, you know, it's just a thing to itself. It's just a cool little glance between two characters that you think, and then you imagine what that match would be like, but you don't see the match, and it's better for not seeing the match, and the product better for not doing the match. Yeah. Having, I... the, having those little moments that aren't, that aren't designed to lead anywhere, but it's just a cool moment in of itself. Or something like some more of. Yeah. yeah. Wait till wait till SummerSlam, mate. Well, that oh, God. <laughs> well, that 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 thirteen. It will all come together. That thirteen fourteen period was a period where they very much leaned on character in a way that you know they've maybe forgotten how to do a little bit um, latterly, I would say, because actually you look at, at that Shield. Wyatt's match, which came at Elimination Chamber, and I'll never forget um, the Seth Rollins promo where they were sort of, you know, they're obviously going in the Elimination Chamber. They could have got there, uh, they could have all ended up in the um, Elimination Chamber, like it, but they got thwarted by the Wyatt family, and obviously they got the infighting between Roman and Dean. And Seth gets them all together and says, you know, this is our yard and we have intruders. And that was just this cr- incredible, like, uh, set up to kind of the, the the three-man group that had redefined everything against the three-man group that were, you know, the everyone's new favourite thing. And it was just perfectly put together. What was brilliant about that contextualization of the White family is that everything about them was designed to be other anyway, wasn't it? They yeah. were meant to be outside of society. They were meant to be completely opaque in their motivations. Um, so they were they were intruders in a, in a very sort of grandiose sense as well. Um, and, you know, what worked brilliantly about that, yes, was the contrast of the two groups, both, you know, in, in style and presentation, but also just... Both groups had such a confident grasp on their characters at the time, and the writing seemed to have such a confident grasp on the characters of the time. Characters as in um, the groups as a whole, uh, perhaps more so than, than individuals in the groups. But they, you know, you need, the writing and the performers knew exactly who the Shield were, exactly who the White family were, and then the match itself brought it all together. Just in the most, I mean, the most phenomenal fashion. I, I sort of have come to see it as something of a spiritual successor to the Canadian standpoint. Yes, very uh, much so. Tag team match because, you know, it's got that raucous atmosphere, but it's also got that sense of, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces, there's a lot of people involved, but it tells such an incredible story. It's such a tightly woven, tightly told story that it's it's a remarkable piece of work. It really is. Matt, any thoughts? No, I absolutely love it. You know, you, you've kind of said it all there. It, it, it was just a fantastic, fantastic match. You know, I don't know at this point what is my favourite Shield match, but it could very well be that one. You I, know, it, it's... I think the other thing that stands out about it is the, the confidence that they had to do that match as an amazing one-off event, then to kind of... Uh, rerun it as like a tag match with this kind of absent Dean Ambrose storyline, have Dean turn up uh, towards the end of the match and then kind of run this, um, you know, sort of baby face shield, uh, almost like regeneration only for then after WrestleMania for this, um, 
newly beast mode babyface shield to then face the Wyatts and finally beat them um, on a, an episode of main event of all things. But that match, I, I seem to remember, the main event match was absolutely brilliant as well. Yeah, I mean, they were free, weren't they? And they, they were all fantastic. Three plus the tag match, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah there was a two-on-two, weren't there? It was like Wyatt and Harper against um, Reigns and Rollins. And I think, you know, the, 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 that's the other thing, isn't it? It's like they didn't feel the need to put all those matches on a pay-per-view. Only one was on a pay-per-view. The others were on TV. And that, as well, shows a kind of uh, a confidence about their products and a willingness to sort of, you know, let TV do what TV is supposed to do, which, you know, again, is kind of often lacking um, nowadays, which is, I think it's why when you look back on that early to mid-authority era, I think that's why it was so successful because they just did a lot of things that always work in pro wrestling. Um, I guess, again, we're talking about 2014. So, you know, the next really big thing on the agenda is, of course, WrestleMania 30, which was kicked off by um, the Daniel Bryan um, Triple H match, I guess, I mean, I guess it was supposed to be the spiritual successor in a way to Owen Brett in the sense of what the storyline meant. Um, But it was, again, of late career Triple H matches, I think it's my favourite by by quite a distance, I have to say. Oh, absolutely, 100%. I'm sure Plan might disagree with that uh, momentarily. But, um, yeah, it's... It's just an absolutely fantastic match. Uh, an excellent first part to Daniel Bryan's night. And I think that's that's the magic of it. You know, whereas Triple H has got that tendency to want to end up being the be-all and end-all. And even I can say that as, as a Triple H defender, he knew his role that night. His role was to set up that main event. And, you know, he went out there, <laughs> they still had the longest match on the card because you know it's triple h and he had a you know awesome wrestlemania entrance because it's triple h but you know ultimately he did his job that night that was to catapult brian into that main event of the night and to leave those couple of kayfabe at least question marks over what he could do of course with alexa bliss and sasha banks uh and charlotte as his um as his wenches in his entrance that night (laughs) yes um, I, I mean, the thing that, I, again, it's it's like the Wyatt match. It's a match I've called on a little bit on subsequent um, subsequent rewatches. But I will say, it's like, like you say, it's it's among, obviously I have my own personal favourite, but it's among the very best, uh, you know, late career Triple H matches. Um, and I think, I think it's amongst the very best Triple H matches full stop, to be fair. Well, yeah, to be fair, absolutely. Um, but... I think a reason in the context of late career Triple H matches in particular, I think the reason why that is in no small degree, uh, and quite apart from the fact that obviously it is wrestled as well as you would expect a Daniel Bryan match particularly to be wrestled, but um, is the fact that it had a sense of genuine consequence. It felt like it mattered. Um, and so many of Triple H's matches, case point being this year, um, have often felt either a foregone conclusion to the point where they don't matter um, or uh, because the, the intention is transparent 
um, or or just completely, you know, without any sense of point to it at all, other than to get Triple H on a WrestleMania card. Um, you know, you think about like the WrestleMania 32 match with Reigns or whatever. I think that probably might have worked had had things been judged a little a little better on the night. It might have ended up surprising people, but. Regardless, the point being that I think, you know, a large reason for the match's success is because it is, oddly, is because it is part one of two. Um, and what's what's really interesting to me is I think because people love that match so much, you don't find a lot of people talk about the triple threat. I was going to ask about that, what your thoughts and were on that, yeah. And I think it's not as good. I mean, it's, it's you know, you're comparing apples and oranges in a sense because you're comparing one-on-one to triple threat, so then both you know they both operate in a different way but you know the triple threat itself is a lot of fun but it's also very tied to conventions of triple threat matches like it doesn't do much in the way of anything original but that was the gloriousness of that entire storyline as you said a few minutes ago Mav you know it it operated in a sphere uh, of things that always work in pro wrestling Um, and it all came together, so they didn't actually have to do anything too daring. They didn't have to try and break ground. They didn't have to try and stray too far from convention because the conventions they did, they did very, very well, and in, in, in the sort of the perfect combination to create magic. You know, it's one of those occasions where you knew Daniel Bryan was going to win, uh, but it didn't matter because that's that's what had to happen. You know, oftentimes the you know stories will demand a conclusion, and when that conclusion happens, it's 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 no worse. In fact, it's better because you know it's the right one. Yeah, I mean, you know, they would have had to really, really shit the bed for that to have been bad. You know, it could have been a not very good match and it, it wouldn't have mattered. You know, they, they, they got in there, they told their story. You know, the story was already pretty much told at that point. They just had to, you know, execute the final part of it and, you know, have the moment at the end, which which they did. Uh, it was far better than it needed to be, to be honest. That That's what I would say about it as a kind thing. It's not, you know, not the greatest triple threat ever, but it was far better than it actually needed to be. Do you know, I, I think people underrate it quite a lot, I have to say, because when Plan was saying about, you know, um, about that people don't talk about it. Um, I mean, my, my immediate thought is, you know, when I last time I watched it back, it was a lot better than I remember it. I mean, obviously I remember really enjoying it on the night just because of what the stakes were, but even objectively viewing it as a match, considering that at the Royal Rumble that year, Batista didn't have the gas tank to come in at number, whatever he was, 26 or 27. And was he 28? Um, but yeah, he didn't have the gas to come in at that at that number and and like not be blowing air within you know a minute of being in the ring. And so the the, the thought then was they brought this guy back. He's not in ring shape. People are booing him out the building. Like what are they gonna do? And they had to. I mean, they put they put in a match with Del Rio, I think. They put in a match with um, Ziggler on an episode of SmackDown. They gave him a bit of ring work. And actually, if you watch if you watch that match back, like Batista more than holds his hands up, you, you have to say. And and then, of course, that would allow us to go into those Shield Evolution matches, which, you know, again, Batista played more than played his part in. So I, I, I think that the triple threat probably deserves more attention than it gets as, a, as just purely as a match in its own right. It's a very, very good match. I, I absolutely, I'd agree with that. 
It is. I mean, again, though, we're, you know, if we're talking best matches of the entire decade, there are so many that have come particularly in the back half that just naturally, not because it's bad, but it just naturally, I think, gets, gets you know, if you were interested in listing, gets sort of slotted down because it's just the sheer plethora of great matches that have happened since. Very good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's more, you know, obviously the way that we've done this is just to talk about things which, you know, sure. things which felt significant now. But there is, just before you move on, there is, I, I, I do always find it hilarious, though, that the match immediately starts with Daniel Bryan, like, being tossed aside and going straight into, like, a prolonged Orton Batista, uh, Batista, some Orton Batista action, almost like Vince saying, no, I'm having my WrestleMania main event. Uh, you know what, though? Did you think, I always thought that was a bit meta, like, you know, troll the fans like, all right, you yeah, want to, you want to boo, yeah, tri- yeah, you know, you want to Drew Batista and Randy Orton, you can boo them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I almost felt like, you know, remember that that scene or awful scene or awesome match at, at Rumble 14 where they got booed out the building. I always felt like that was Vince just thinking, won't it be funny to put them in that situation? <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought that. I don't know why. Um, all right, so obviously the post. WrestleMania 30 uh, era, WrestleMania 30, of course, maybe the last WrestleMania that had sort of universal goodwill from from literally everybody. Um, so the Shields then um, would go into a, uh, a feud against the reformed Evolution, um, uh, obviously minus Ric Flair, um, and... They wrestled two matches, um, one, of course, at Extreme Rules and one at Payback. Um, so we had a straight six-man, um, very much the Shield's bread and butter, and then they had an elimination version, um, uh, no holds barred elimination version, um, a month later. Um, two matches which, which are, you know, did that very clever Shield thing of having enough similarity to have narrative threads between them, but enough you know, but enough uniqueness to be, you know, uh, entities in their own right. And I, I think it's what well, like you say, Matt, it's so difficult to talk about your favourite Shields six man. I think my favourite one is probably the first one, but but these two against Devolution would be high up my list as well. Yeah, both. Uh, and it's a project I do want to undertake at some point, you know, either for the show for or for a column series just to re, you know, if it turns out Dean is leaving, I think that might be a perfect time to to look back at that and just look at the the best shield matches over the years. Um, but yeah, I mean they were both absolutely fantastic, and you know it, it's Batista, as you said, hold more than holding up his end of it as well. He, he made a fantastic heel during that run. Um, unbelievable you just you know he, he seemed genuinely pissed off and he was able to convey that and he was there doing the job for you know essentially four of the biggest stars of that next era and you know when you look at that short run he had in 2014 for the first few months you know you can't argue about what he did and you know as much as I don't want to see it for that alone I think he deserves a, a, another shot on his own terms now because, you know, he clearly does love the business, even though he has that that air. He's, he's always had it, hasn't he, where he, he, he was not really liked by the fans, by the hardcore fans, as, you know, as an indie darling and stuff like that. But, you know, he's in particular in that run, he more than held his own. And 
gave back a lot to the business. And yeah, both matches were absolutely fantastic. You know, it was it, if the Shield had split when we thought they were going to split based off that heel run, you know, for us not to have had that short face run of the Shield in, in, in their first run, it, it would... I, I do wonder what would be what would be we'd be saying about them right now. Would, would they be the group that that we love? Would we talk about them the same way? No, I think you're right, Lance. I think I think the face run was really what made them stars. You know, obviously, like they did all the spade work. Um, you know, in their in their heel run and and all the things they did and all the accolades that they they racked up. But I think it was certainly the face run which obviously gave Rollins the platform in that when he turned heel, it meant so much more because they were so beloved. Um, it, it should have given Ray Reigns um, a, a rocket to the main event, but as we know, WWE maybe didn't do the best job with that. And it allowed Dean Ambrose to become that kind of unconventional, um, you know, inverted commas, Austin style baby face that, that um, the business have been crying out for really since, um, you know, since uh well since austin really unless you count punk so um yeah i think the baby face run meant a lot in that sense and, and i think the thing was is that they they could wrestle a slightly different style of six man where you know they were doing poppier things like all those all those rollins jumps from balconies and all the ambrose running along tables and the reins drive by like all that stuff you know was really preparing them for their singles career in quite a significant way i think they're great matches both of them i love uh, i'm not sure which one i prefer i always go back and forth. Mm. the first one i think is it uh, has more energy to it um and is more fun in that sense but i uh, and it's probably the one that i know that i've watched more but I, I very distinctly and very vividly remember just that real kind of palpable sense of desperation in the second one when Evolution started to sort of pick them apart. Um, and then Rollins kind of swung it back with the dive off the tron and they went for the clean sweep. I, I, I go back and forth a lot, but, they, they, you know, they are they are both extremely good, obviously. I think the conclusion of the second one is some of, is one of the most fantastic passages of any tag match ever. Um, you know, it really, it really is a kind of um, like cinematic finish. I think um, it was so good as well because no one was expecting a sweep. No, as well. the fact the that they just just buried Evolution, just boom, 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 done, get out of here. You know, and you know, obviously it was perfect for what had happened the next night. Exactly, they they got to their very high, and then um, you know they they sort of took it all away from the fans at the point where they'd, they'd achieved the most, which was very, very clever. Um, so, uh, obviously, coming out of that, um, you you get the the first iteration of the Ambrose-Rollins feud, um, which would uh, culminate at SummerSlam in what is, I, I think, my my favourite Ambrose-Rollins match still, which is the the Lumberjack match, which we discussed at length plan um, on Sports Entertainment, is dead recently. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the genius of the match, they took this gimmick that everybody thought was a dead gimmick that was just the worst thing ever. Everyone scratching their head going, Lumberjack match? What? Ambrose cuts that brilliant promo explaining that it's all the bodies they climbed over 
to get where they got to. And then they just absolutely tore the house down. 11 minutes of the best wrestling, best sort of intense pro wrestling that you that you could see. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, it, it's comfortably my favourite of the matches between them as well. And, uh, you know, I'm not so hot on some of the matches you love uh, between the two. But, yeah, that, that was the one for me. It was just so intense. It was exactly what it needed to be. It was it was their first one. I mean, this is the other thing, you know. Let's not forget it was their first match against each other because they teased the one at um, Battleground, uh, and and that sort of got thrown out. And they they'd had obviously the one they built the Money in the Bank ladder match around, which is a, a very you know one you want to talk about underrated matches. That one, 2014's Money in the Bank is is, is I think undervalued as well uh, because it pulled that brilliant trick of anchoring itself around a central story which in this case was the Ambrose Rollins feud um, but this was their first one-on-one match and they, I think they, they solidified themselves as stars here and the other thing is you know you go a couple of months further down the line with the Hell in a Cell again people have forgotten um, though I remember it very clearly uh, that leading into Hell in a Cell that year because Cena and Orton were booked to wrestle each other on the same card there was a huge huge debate about you know, whether debate's probably the wrong word, but there was a lot of, of kind of, um, it was an issue as to uh, whether or not Cena versus Orton or Rollins versus Ambrose would close out that pay-per-view. You know, so, and, and the fact that Rollins and Ambrose did shows you uh, how far up the ladder they climbed uh, as part of the Shield and how much further they were now climbing as, as single stars. I mean, it was that summer of 2014. Um, you know, obviously the Brian story shook a lot of the product up, uh, but it was really that 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 summer of 2014, and I think Rollins Ambrose versus Ambrose is a few leading the charge, that solidified the fact the company was was a different company to what it had been, you know, and, and was permanently a different company to what it had been uh, previous, because this was the first time that somebody other than, you know, see, this was the first time a feud got booked above the Cena Orton feud that wasn't, you know, a Royal Rumble or some other de facto gimmick uh, in in probably a long time, I would think. It was um, it was a brilliant certainly hell. For, certainly for new rising stars. I think. Yeah, it was a brilliant hell in a cell match, an absolutely brilliant hell in a cell match. And let's let's be not forget, of course, that um, that uh, in the build to this, we also had the legendary uh, Dean Ambrose contract on a pole match <laughs> with John Cena, uh, and he of course was undefeated in contracts on a pole matches, as he liked to say <laughs> at the time. <laughs> which, I really wish they'd made more of that gimmick. It would have been brilliant. Um, but uh, it was a, an absolutely brilliant. Um, what a weekly contract on a pole open challenge. <laughs> it's really a very in character for him at the time, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but it was it was a brilliant Hell in a Cell match. It was such. A... I tell you what, maybe they they've missed a trick there, haven't they? That's what they should have been doing for the last two months since they announced he was leaving. It's just like weekly contract on a pole open challenge matches. Oh, honestly, I'd I'd have loved Dean, Dean, Am- Dean Ambrose winning these matches and basically culling the bloated roster himself for weeks on it. Okay, let's book that quickly. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was a, it was a great Hell in a Cell match between them. It was a tribute to a lot of the great ones of the past. I think Plan we, you know, in particular noted the very first one, the Shawn Michaels Undertaker one, was um, an, an obvious kind of uh, DNA for it, um, just because of the you know the similarity of the the bumps that they took and um, and the the sort of the the way in which Rollins was trying to escape. Uh, tried to use his, his kind of, um, you know, his backup, uh, Noble and Mercury, you know, to uh, to get out of it. And, of course, even down to the Bray Wyatt 
kind of reprising Kane's role um, in that match in some sense. So yeah, it was it was fantastic, and and certainly when we look at those held ourselves since um, since PG and since the the pay per view. I think it's comfortably the best one. I don't know that the take of Leicester one was pretty good, but I don't think it was anything like as good as Ambrose Rollins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything you just said. <laughs> um, so, of course, we go to Survivor Series. Um, and, of course, we get the Team Cena v Team Authority match with Seth Rollins captaining uh, the Authority team. Um, and of course, it came down to that absolutely fantastic match within a match between uh, between Ziggler and Rollins, and of course, you get the Sting intervention at the end. But what a brilliant match that 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 is! Still, I mean, it started a nice tradition recently of important Survivor Series traditional elimination matches, which really has revived the pay per view because for years it was rumored, you know, oh, they're gonna they're gonna. They're going to cull it. They, they don't think it draws anymore. And lo and behold, of course, you put a bit of effort into it and it becomes really valuable again. And this match was a, a great successor to the likes of the, you know, the Team Bischoff and Team Austin thing and the, the Team SmackDown and Team Raw ones from, you know, the Brand Split era. And, of course, the uh, 2001, um, you know, sort of conclusive match of the... Uh, invasion angle it was a look worthy successor to all of those um and i think you know remains a, a great example of how to do the gimmick yeah it's all right <laughs> <laughs> apparently mazza doesn't have any thoughts Mazza, i think surprised I surprised Nah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with playing. It was all right. It was a good match at the time. I can't really remember too much about it now, to be honest. See, but... I would have thought, Plan, as a, as a Rollins, as a Rollins fan, you know, this was, this was a big deal for him. Um, you know, being the captain of the team, having except that. For, I'm, I'm going to interrupt. Except for it wasn't, and, and this is one of the. I mean, I have two real issues about this uh, match, uh, and its, and its legacy. I mean, it is undoubtedly. You know, a very well-constructed, well-put-together, well-executed five-on-five Survivor Series match. I like the 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 uh, the characterfulness of it, particularly from from Triple H. I think does a great supporting role on the outside. Um, uh, if you get past the, the the bizarre way that they decided to introduce the stipulation, um, but you know, and and the fact it's got high stakes helps obviously massively as well. I wrote about that in in my book 101. Um, not this match specifically, but Survivor Series in general as a concept works best when there are tangible stakes involved, I think. Um, but I have two major issues, really. The first is, and it's not so much an issue, as it is just the reason why it doesn't really rate as highly in my estimation as a lot of other people's, in that it doesn't do anything that we hadn't seen done in what I would consider to be more effective uh, Survivor Series matches or, or more entertaining matches elsewhere before so it was really just um, a building of uh, you know uh, uh, pre-rendered ideas which is fine but it you know and entertaining and I like it but it's not means it's not it's gonna it's gonna limit how far up my estimation climbs but the second is to your Rollins point I mean it's a phenomenal night for Rollins in terms of his performance but the issue with this match is 
you know, it comes down to Ziggler and Rollins, but instead of about being about Ziggler and Rollins, it immediately becomes about Sting and Triple H. And the, the 40-odd minutes that happens before it suddenly gets redefined as a means to introduce Sting. And, you know, I mean, you may consider that to be a bit of a hard line to take on the match, maybe even a bit unfair, but that's the way that I have uh, always seen it. Because ultimately, coming out that night, people were talking about Stink debuting in WWE uh, more than they were anything else. So, um, you know, my, my opinion as a Rollins fan has always been, uh, you know, it wasn't really that big a deal for Rollins. The bigger deal for Rollins was the great angle they ran several weeks later on Raw when he brought the authority back by by threatening to basically murder Edge, uh, and then and then the triple threat match at, at Royal Rumble. Um, but the, the Survivor Series match for him and Ziggler both, because the other thing was a lot of people talked about how Ziggler was, you know, this was them putting the rocket pack on Ziggler and he was going to shoot to, you know, this was his moment. And actually it wasn't. Ziggler was in the final because of, of the way the rest of the match got built around him rather than, than anything else. So I, I think this is a match that has uh, curiously benefited from coming at a time when people were sick of the authority. Uh, it, it benefited from uh, Sting being Sting's debut, which a lot of people found very riveting at the time and very exciting. Uh, and it benefited from the fact that, that people thought Ziggler was having a moment that turned out to really not be a moment. I, I think to be to be fair, I've always seen Rollins's rise as as every chapter of it being pretty important. And I think the fact they trusted him to like not only anchor the match, but also take the storyline strain of the authorities' um, absence afterwards, I think was incredibly significant for him. And I think you know, performances like his match within a match with Ziggler here was just part of him forming the the body of work for which we celebrate him today. So I, I think it was significant, although, of course, you know, it's only one step along the way. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm by no means am I trying to write off the, the quality of his performance um, or the, the place it has in his library of work. By any means, like you say, he anchors the match pretty much and you know, he's always where he needs to be when he needs to be. I think it's a, a, an absolutely phenomenal outing from him. But I think that the trajectory of his career was largely unaltered by his presence in this match, quite honestly. I think he would have still gone to where he went to had he not been involved in it. And I think he would have, uh, you know, still gone to where he went to had he ended up walking out, you know, the, so, the sole survivor of it. So um, ultimately, like I say, I think the match was really more about setting a single than it was anything else is all. And that's that combined with its general, like I said earlier, it's sort of uh, I, I don't want to say lack of originality because I feel like that sounds harsher than I mean it. Um, but what I said earlier about it sort of compiling ideas we'd seen before, both the things that limit it in my estimation, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm by no means arguing for it to be the best thing that ever happened, but uh, I, I think I, I think based on that discussion, I maybe enjoyed it more than either of you. Um, all right, like so, so with a with a with a quick nod to um, Seth Rollins' excellent tables match with John Cena, like who has excellent tables matches? I mean, for goodness sake. Um, but, <laughs> with a quick nod to that, let's let's go into 2015 and. The, the match you mentioned um, plan, the triple threat between um, Lesnar, Rollins and Cena, of course, originally slated to be Cena's rematch with Brock Lesnar. But Rollins was rewarded uh, by Triple H with a place um, in this match. And of course, like they did the old 
uh, odd bedfellows act with Rollins and Cena, um, sort of combining to try and neutralise Lesnar. Um, and it was, I think, you know, maybe the last time that Lesnar's kind of, um, inverted commas, beast mode act was, you know, truly compelling. Yeah. yeah it, Go on, Mars. Sorry, yeah. No, it was absolutely fantastic match. Probably, as you say, the last time that this whole uh, Brock Lesnar unstoppable beast thing actually kind of worked in the context of it. I think this is where, you know, when you're talking about the best matches of the decade, you know, when you pop this one up against the WrestleMania 30 main event as a match, you know, that that's where it shows that as good as that WrestleMania 30 main event was, you know, this was that much better. It was just a, a fantastic mix. It, it, it's hard to think now in 2019 that, you know, a match that had both Brock Lesnar and John Cena in it could be that good. <laughs> it's, it was seen as the height of Cena's effort to try and make himself an indie darling, wasn't it? <laughs> and, um, yeah, but it, it, I, I say that flippantly, but it, it, it was certainly a match which benefited from Cena's greater willingness to kind of, you know, uh, bump around and, and, and do some wild stuff, as well as, of course, like, you know, Rollins's, um, you know, kind of, general uh uh shtick at the time not only his athleticism but also his kind of you know uh heel cunning it it was it comes back to what i was saying earlier when we were discussing um the, the wyatt bryan stuff you've got a series of stories operating inside of, of uh wider stories uh you know it's that shared universe thing that works so well for it you know you lesnar's character here works because it was on a linear, it was involved in a linear story that had started at WrestleMania 13, seemed to have set to culminate at WrestleMania 31. The story had grown, the character had grown, uh, and and so that worked. And it was only after uh, the Undertaker feud, and I've said this before, where the character became sort of listless and aimless, that the that the, the shit really started to stink. Um, you've you've got the you know the the the, the previous between Cena and Lesnar both the year before but also dating all the way back to 2012 and indeed before even that uh, you've got the fact that this was a reward for Rollins bringing back uh, the authority you've got the fact Rollins was still Mr. Money in the Bank when he went into the match with the briefcase you know you have all the authority Cena stuff hanging over from Survivor Series you've got Wrestlemania looming on the horizon and the fact that at the time people were talking about how you know Lesnar was set to wrestle Brian Reigns. So you've got meta-narratives at play as well, and all that stuff led to a match that felt legitimately extremely high stakes, and then what you that the involved two established main guys, but also an up-and-comer, so it felt fresh. And then what they do is they kind of silently realign uh, the genre tropes that had, been, that had been set in stone. I mean, since WrestleMania 20, there's barely a triple threat match between then and this one we're talking about that doesn't do at least one of the things that the WrestleMania 20 triple threat match does. Um, but this one doesn't do any of it, you know, and it completely realigns what a triple threat match is about because it sets out this new structure whereby you've got one competitor who's seen as the dominant force rather than, you know, one competitor who's a heel or face. The other two, uh, some, you know, he's central to the, to the opening. The other two take him out. They, the, the second act is them sort of racing to a finish before the other one can recover. Then the other one comes back 
and defines the conclusion. And that's a structure then that's informed subsequent triple threat matches and indeed subsequent multi-man matches uh, since, including the fast lane triple threat between Lesnar, Reigns, uh, and Ambrose, including the Shield triple threat, where Reigns essentially substitutes the role that Brock Lesnar plays here. So you've got all of these things, you know, you know the, the the multiple narratives, the shared universe, the character, the high stakes, uh, the the meta narratives. You've got the 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 match, the innovation of the match itself. All of it playing together to create. You know, this this one ranks extremely highly for me. I think it remains phenomenal to this day and i think the other thing to say is that it it, lo- it looks all the better because it took place um on a on such a rotten show with such a rotten royal rumble right. you know i think you know it uh, it was the saving grace of a show which was truly one of the biggest down moments to be a wwe fan um you know at the time um so um let's uh Let's have a look at Fastlane then that year. Um, of course, the the Roman Reigns winning the Rumble thing, um, WWE then leaned into the reality of people wanting Daniel Bryan to have won it, and um, and they had this sort of classic February pay per view move of doing a final eliminator where Reigns put his title shot up for grabs against Bryan. Um, to uh, to see who would go to WrestleMania 31 and wrestle um, Brock Lesnar. And they had um, a match which, I don't know if it shut people up about Roman Reigns, but it was certainly a really, really good match. It's the match that should have laid to rest any Roman Reigns can't wrestle um, narratives that were out there, which bizarrely continued for, you know, a, a good couple more years i think um it's kind of the AJ, really it's kind of the aj styles thing that made them go away for good wasn't it really yeah i mean you still hear it every now and again don't get me wrong but you know it was it, it should have been done after this match it, it should have been and you know a lot of them it was in a lot of uh, circles you know I, I i love this match i thought it was absolutely fantastic when it comes to you know what we like to call that placeholder feud for the Rumble winner between WrestleMania and um, the Rumble, you know, it's as good as any. You know, the story made sense, absolutely made sense with what happened. I mean, they obviously made a royal, royal, royal mess up of the Rumble that year, you know, in particular with what they did with Brian and what they did with... um, how they read what was going to happen with Reigns. Uh, you know, this could could have fixed it, maybe should have fixed it, but I, I think they'd shot themselves in the foot so much by this point with it, it, it kind of, it, it, it was a bit too late to do what they wanted it to do. Um, you know, but in terms of storyline and in terms of what was achieved on that night, it was fantastic. I think the thing about it is that you know, and I, I've gone back and watched it a, a bunch of times since. And I, I think the reason why I always used to go back and watch it a lot was because until, um, you know, until this most recent um, heel turn, it was the last great Daniel Bryan match. And, um, you know, we would we would kind of lose him uh, for well, what, what basically we thought was going to be for good, um, you know, only a few months after this. 
And so, um, yeah, absolutely. He, yeah. Got screwed, he got screwed again at Mania, didn't he? Well, you know, oh, so he got screwed up a big one-on-one feud in, in 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 place of a moment in a clusterfuck. Yeah, he ends but, up with the uh, the ladder match, didn't he? And then he basically couldn't really even defend that belt for very long before it was kind of you know that remember that I. He had one one match with Ziggler. I think, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I think I think you know that for that reason, this match always kind of was one that I used to go back to and and watch quite a bit. And it, Brian, I think in this match does the old Bret Hart trick. He plays the heel in the match, and he <laughs> and he, um, he 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 does so brilliantly. Even if the crowd reactions don't necessarily reflect it, um, he he does do that that great Bret Hart v Kevin Nash thing during the match and. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's a nice, it's a nice lean time as well. Twenty minutes. That's a, a you know, a, a sort of by WWE standards, a kind of fairly restrained um, match length too. So yeah, I've always enjoyed the old put your title shot up for grabs in February trope, and I think this was a really good example of it. Um, it's all right. I think, <laughs> I, I think. It, it's interesting. The more we're talking about this, the more I'm discovering that there are so many Brian matches that I was really big on at the time that I've called on since. I, I, it's interesting to think why that might be. But um, yeah, it's all right. I think, honestly, I think, I mean, I wasn't as high on it as people at the time. I liked it uh, a lot, but I wasn't quite as in love with it as a lot of people were. Um, I don't know whether that's because I wasn't quite as against the Reigns push as a lot of people were. Um, but regardless, I think that it's it's... It's you know it's a good match. I just think there are a lot of better range matches, and I think honestly there are a lot of better Brian matches as well. So on to WrestleMania 31 then. Um, uh, you know, obviously a very good, um, a very good all-around show. Um, but I guess most significantly, you've got that fantastic Randy Orton v Seth Rollins match, which is you know um, until. You know, kind of until this year, where we're going to have we're going to have obviously um, stars the Orton, the most recent what I always call the Y2J Christian match, most recent example of one of those. Um, and then, of course, Rollins gets his kind of almost uh, um, Bret Hart moment in in sort of having a down moment where he loses, and then uh, having an up moment. But in this case, by cashing in the money in the bank briefcase during what was already a very good main event between Reigns and Lesnar. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I, you know, as you guys know, I'm an absolute. The WrestleMania 31 is my favourite. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. I did an episode of SCID not too long ago explaining why I think it's the best. Um, the Rollins uh, Orton match is excellent, as you said, Merv like velvet watching it um not sure it's one of the best of the last 10 years uh but it's, it's certainly extremely good the main event though i think is one of the best matches of the last 10 years i think it remains you know as much as people may sour on it in light of, of the amount of suplexity we've seen since i think that really shouldn't detract from what i would consider the quality of a perfectly judged main event on the night Production of it was solid. The the was on point. The the match production was on point. The story told is a testament to how effective blood can still be in a wrestling match. Uh, when when uh, you know deployed, whether it was done on purpose or not. Um, huge incredible plot twist at the end. You know, great natural WrestleMania moment that wasn't forced. Uh, one of the more memorable and iconic, I think, of, of recent years. 
um, possibly the last great one uh, for that matter. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just think it's amazing. I'm a huge, huge fan of the Bray Wyatt Undertaker match as well, though I appreciate that I'm in a minority with that. No, no I, I enjoy that match a lot as well, actually. Um, you know, and I mean, going back a year, funnily enough, uh, I really enjoyed the first Wyatt Cena match at WrestleMania 30, although I, I think I may be in a minority there. <laughs> so let's uh, let's then go into the sort of the post uh, WrestleMania landscape. Um, now, this, of course, is when you get the, the resumption, the sort of surprise resumption, really, of the uh, Ambrose and Rollins um, rivalry. Um, of course, you have at... Payback, I think, is the Fatal 4-Way. Is that right? Yeah. So the Fatal 4-Way at Payback, where Rollins takes on Orton plus Ambrose and Reigns. Um, and they had the whole Ambrose playing with house money storyline. And it all came out of the fact that Ambrose unexpectedly, during a kind of downtime in his career, beat Rollins one-on-one on an episode of Raw. And then, hey, what, By the way, and that, that match remains one of their best, I think. I agreed. Um, and then, of course, Elimination Chamber, they then get a brilliant one-on-one match, which, um, you know, has one of, the, as we said during SCID plan a few weeks ago, one of the very best um, video packages they've done for those two. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. One, yeah, one bad decision. And it's a great match as well. You know, people... It's it's the match that happens on the same card as uh, as uh, uh, the first. Oh, it's the Cena match, yeah. Cena match, so it gets overshadowed for that. But um, yeah, it's uh, tremendous. And of course, the I mean, the fate of the forward shouldn't be sniffed at either. To be fair, I mean that's that's pretty great as well. But you know, it's the ladder match that that really matters. I think the ladder match is. I don't know about to Mavena on it, but. Uh, but I think that, that ladder match just absolutely outrageously good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agreed. Like, uh, plan obviously, we, me and you went hard on that from the beginning, saying that how how we felt. Funny enough, I remember that what <laughs> what we said at the time, both of us, uh, was that we our immediate reaction and watching it the first time was that we both called it match of the decade. There, we said, right, we're calling it that's match of the decade. Um, so, I, I, it's funny. I, I, you know, it's almost one of those matches that I love so much that. I haven't gone back and watched it. In fact, I don't think I've gone back and watched it since we did our watch along together, actually, because it's like the memory of it in my mind is so sort of perfect that I almost don't want to tempt fate. But, um, but yeah, obviously I loved, I absolutely loved that match. I thought it was such a fitting, um, at that point, um, a fitting conclusion to, uh, to their feud. Um, and I mean, let's we got we have to kind of mention the Owen Cena match as well. I think it had it just been the first one, and this is such such a, a theme with John Cena generally, isn't it? It like and obviously we know that the finisher kick out thing has become uh, an infection in in the company as a whole. Uh, but take all that aside as a as a a one match statement, Owen's joins the company, starts, sorry, joins the main roster, has a match with John Cena, and beats him, like, squeaky clean in the middle of the ring. That was pretty incredible at the time. 
it was balls if it weren't for what happened the next two pay-per-views. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> At the time, it was good, you know. And I've I've actually watched these three uh, <laughs> matches back again, uh, I remember at the time. And, you know, I, I think the problem, if that was just one match and done, and, like, uh, had Owens disappear for a bit or, you know, had Owens move on, uh, based off the back of that, I think it would be in with a shot. The problem with these matches is all three of them are pretty, very similar. Very, very similar. There's not much difference between them all, you know. There, there's probably a bit more than you'd care to give it. There, There is some slight, you know, there's callbacks and stuff like that. However, you know, it, it's the same, same style three times in a row. Same style uh, three times in a row. Same match length pretty much three times in a row as well. Same, same result and, twice. And Cena comes out victorious, so, you know. <laughs> I'm choking on, on your words is how much this bothers me. Yeah, um, it's no, yeah, no doubt it's, it messed I, it up a bit, I, yeah. I said, that, I said they were, revolt, were revolting at the time, and I stand by that now. I find them to be as disgusting as that Cena-AJ match at SummerSlam was. Just, just worthless, meritless rubbish. I, like I say, John, I, John Cena at his worst. As a result, also bringing out Kevin Owens at his worst. And we all know that I don't like <laughs> John Cena. Kevin Owens really depends on on my mood minute by minute. I mean, like I say, I enjoyed the first one. Um, you know, for what it was, uh, I wish they hadn't done the others. Uh, I think that's pretty much my opinion on it. <laughs> that's all I've got to say about that. Um, <laughs> that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> uh, you know, like, that's the most underrated of Austin's catchphrases. It's the one that nobody remembers. Oh, well. Um, you, can't, you can't say it without feeling like Austin. <laughs> exactly. That's where it's like, use it in school on a daily basis. Uh, right. So, um, what have we? what else have we got here? Um trying to think like we get i mean that wyatt owen sorry the wyatt reigns view nothing much to see there i think really looking back at it it probably should have been a lot better than it was decent but nothing more that's that's unfair i think it just didn't result in you know you're talking about the best matches of 10 years in a 10-year period where there were some absolutely remarkable matches i think it's unfair to say it wasn't as good as it should have been it just didn't result in one of the best matches of the decade is all I, I i think it's very fair to say it's not as good as it should have been because you know what both those guys are capable of what we've talked about them already today you know i think their, their, their battleground match is tremendous their tag team match at SummerSlam is fantastic and the six man and night champions is fine so and then the hell, well, then they got the hell in a cell, haven't they? Um, where, oh yeah, I, did, I, I was a bit disappointed with the hell in a cell. I must admit. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the battleground one. I'd have to go back and rewatch it. I barely remember it. I mean, the only thing I really remember at battlegrounds um, was, funnily enough, was the uh, the Rollins uh, Lesnar match that almost never was really, just because it, it kind of finished. Um, with that kind of Lesnar Undertaker. Lesnar never won. Lesnar never won. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the Undertaker's um, sort of. Uh, uh, sort of arrival on the scene. Now, obviously, the Undertaker match at SummerSlam with Lesnar and the one at, and the Hell in a Cell match um, at, of course, Hell in a Cell. Now, I know we. I mean, we talked about this a lot, haven't we, over the years? Uh, the the SummerSlam Undertaker Lesnar match, I actually think, is absolutely fantastic. Um, and even with the finish, 
And I've, I've maintained that it's never a good idea to have to do a finish that you need to explain afterwards. But it, it's not a deal breaker for me like it is for some people at all. I think, you know, the quality of the match you know, is 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 more than sufficient to, uh, to to not have that matter too much. And then the Hell in a Cell, as modern Hell in a Cells go with the old uh, taking up the ring canvas, revealing the boards, and then the Wyatts turning up to kidnap the Undertaker at the ends. Like, you know, that was good as well. Yeah, I agree with you entirely on the SummerSlam match. I think it's it's very, very, very good. Um, and I think it's unfair. It's It seems to me to be completely lopsided to uh, count the last minute over the first, like, 24 minutes. When the first 24 minutes are so good, like, that ratio is, you know, is tremendous. Though I appreciate you can't really separate out one minute from, from other minutes. No. I mean, Bizarre, yeah, especially bizarre. when it's the conclusion. If if you had a bad minute in the middle, maybe, you know. But no, I just I just think that it seems a bit unfair on on what was otherwise a, a really brilliantly worked. Because lest we forget, of course, we know it comes up with the way matches should finish. Um, yeah, so I I, th- I think the well, biggest problem with, with with that night is it wouldn't have been so bad had. Seth and Cena gone to a clean finish, and vi- or vice versa. I think that you had those two iffy finishes in in what was essentially the double main. You know, I, I think that put a bit of a dampener on things. You know, I think it, I'm with Mavin in the sense that I, 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 I that it's because it had to be explained that it didn't work. Like yeah. it was unclear what the intention was. That 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 it left people confused and. I, but but I think there's still merit in the way the match ends. I mean, yeah. the way that the Undertaker puts Brock Lesnar in the in the Hell's Gate, and Brock Lesnar just gives him the finger before he passes out. I think is wonderfully in character. I, I think um, you know the problem was is that the camera angle uh, didn't yeah. didn't show what they needed to show, and then they had to do it on a replay. And as I say, that's that's never a good look. But hashtag fire executive producer Kevin Dunn yeah exactly executive producer Kevin Dunn did not do a good job with that one but I, I think you know the actual idea of the finish was a good one it was but I think on top of the camera angle as well is the fact we talk, and talked about this recently was the fact that bizarrely they, they did that incongruous thing where like the ring the guy who rings the bell just took it upon himself to ring the bell and then they had the referee below what's going on rather than figuring out yeah. the way to do it which has literally never happened before and never happened since and it's moments like that that, that, you know, mount up into the kind of products that we have currently. You know, the whole, as an aside, right, the whole ringing the bell thing, because you get that now and again, like a heel will, like, try and get out of a match by just, like, having one of his lackeys ring the bell for him, and the ref looks all confused, like, what the hell do I do? It's like, you're, like, you're the ref, like, just ignore the bell. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't quite, I've never, I've never quite, never quite understood that, but apparently ringing a bell paralyzes all referees, so professional wrestlers take note. I mean, it's, right, you're a teacher, Matt. If the bell rang for break time, like, half an hour early, you'd just tell everyone to carry on, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd say, sit the fuck down, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> Get on with it. Um, yeah, yeah it, has, it has happened. Um, for, what it, for what it's worth, though, I've got to say, I personally never minded the finish, and I thought it was a really good match. Exactly, and I yeah. I'm with the finish. I think we've all just said we're fine with the finish. <laughs> But, you know, I couldn't get why people maybe weren't. It, it tended to be, I think, uh, maybe the people that were more in common, <laughs> more kind of uh, inverted commas, like sports out of their wrestling that were annoyed by it, I would say. And the people that were more inverted commas story 
uh, were fine with it. That was the split that I tended to uh, tended to see. Um, all right, so let's uh, nothing much to see for the rest of 2015 that I can see here. So let's have a look at. Um, uh, someone take over London. Forgot that ever happened. Uh, let's have a look at 2016. Um, and we're, we're just we're just considering every every Seth Rollins tar match as as you know included, obviously. So sure, sure. If you if you like. Uh, so 2016. Um, obviously, I think the Ambrose uh, versus Owens match from the Rumble that year was an absolute barn burner. We've, we have skipped one, oh, we'll skipped. which uh, you and I would, would champion until the cows come home, though not a lot of other people would, which is the Reigns-Ambrose final at Survivor Series. Oh, yes. Yeah, I did really enjoy that. Um, I think people forget about it because it is only about 11 minutes long. But but as a, as a babyface match, as a babyface v babyface match, but babyface v babyface match is pretty much, I think, the handbook on how to do it well. And I don't think you're going to find uh, a better told, more comprehensively told economy of storytelling in an 11-minute match or, or a 10-minute match, roughly anywhere else in wrestling. Like it's it's absolutely mind-boggling just the amount of story they're able to tell in that short amount of time. It, indeed, and I, I think yeah, the other thing to say is that you know it, it gave Ambrose that kind of you know bump into the IC title scene. Um, so while Reigns is having to kind of, you know, uh, carry around the kind of uh, a last attempt to make Sheamus the main event before they realise that, no, he is a mid-carder, um, Ambrose got instead a really good programme against Owens. And like I say, that last man standing match is one of my favourites. of I would say it's one of my favourites of the decade, I have to say. One of my favourite Ambrose matches that isn't against Seth Rollins, for sure. What, what, what did we think of Kevin Owens' that week plan? <laughs> Listen, I, I like Kevin Owens when he isn't chasing laughs um, and uh, when he is proving to be quite compelling. I mean, I go back and forth on his on his ring work. Lock. I, I do think he has to be put against the right person to quell some bad habits that I would consider to be bad habits um, as a fan. Um, but I think the last one standing match with with Ambrose is great because it's very heavily rooted in character. Uh, it's it just a, a very well put together version of a last man standing match, uh, and it's you know it's a, it was it was these two men particularly, even though Miz is the one who sort of gets all the credit for it. Really, it was these two men that kick started that recon and I wrote columns about it at the time that kick started that reconnaissance of the Intercontinental Championship. It started with Owens and Ambrose. Uh, because they wrestled over that title like it was a world title. They got that title into huge profile matches like this, like a last man standing match at the Royal Rumble. Um, I don't think the IC title had ever been vied for in a last man standing match before. I may be wrong about that. Um, would need a fact check on it, but um, it was certainly the highest profile IC title match in a long, long time. They wrestled over it with genuine passion. Um, and, of course, a couple of months later would be when, when the Miz would win it and, and take it on to even higher heights. But it started here. Well, it actually started before this because they had a great match at TLC the month before and a great match on SmackDown as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was tr- tremendous, tremendous effort from both men. And part of a wider story as well, they both would go on to sell the, the, the kind of the lasting impact in the Rumble match. Uh, Ambrose in particular would benefit hugely from this last man standing in his Rumble performance, one of what I rated as, as 
I think, the greatest non-winning Rumble performance of all time, if memory serves, in my series in January. Um, so, uh, totally, yeah, fantastic stuff. And, you know, I mean, I think it's worth having a brief word about the 2016 Royal Rumble, which is like, you know, maybe just a couple of tweaks away from being one of the great Rumble matches. I think it's one yeah. tweak away. You could, you, could, you could forgive the weird way they produce Roman in that match if Ambrose wins it at the end. There's, not, there's no doubt that, that the way As they... Brock stuff as well. The way they oh, produced, yeah. Rock, yeah. The way they produced Reigns and, and Lesnar in that match is, is such a head-scratcher, because the rest of it's brilliant. Um, it, it really is. Uh, I just... It, it, we, I, remember we, I think we even said at the time, didn't we? Like, it, I it, couldn't get past it at the time, but on rewatches, when I get past those two, you know... Reigns walking out and Brock Lesnar's total disinterest. It was just like a, but yeah, outside of that, it's a fantastic rumble. Absolutely fantastic. It's, it's interesting to me when you consider that Ambrose talked about his match with Lesnar at WrestleMania 32 and, and sort of talked about how disinterested and lazy Lesnar was. And then you look at his performance here and you wonder whether he was just going through like complete lack of, of interest in, in, I guess, not being the focal point product anymore maybe i don't know yeah it's uh, interesting i mean it, but it was it was it was the right like there's no way he just walks away from that character walks away from being eliminated the way it was especially illegally as well it's interesting because then you get the match you mentioned earlier plan the one at fast lane which was kind of you know similar similarly produced match to the scene of rollins uh, lesnar match um and i've i've rewatched that recently and i thought it was absolutely fantastic really really good because of course you got the reigns ambrose buddy cop duo uh you got lesnar as, as the big bad um you have those great moments where they buried lesnar under loads of stuff and then it's like right loser buys the beers and they kind of have a good old a good old fight and then lesnar kind of comes you know roaring out from under all this wreckage and it's 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 fantastically done i i think it's again one of those matches that people forget happened but is really good it's. I think it just sits in the shadow of the one from the previous year, doesn't it, really? Yeah, probably. And, that, and that's probably and, why. And the shadow of the meta-narratives that were happening at the time, with around Reigns particularly. Um, but, but I mean, I always remember that real incredible moment where uh, Les has Reigns in the in the armbar, uh, and he's like, he's like... He's doing that thing where he's black body scissored Reigns and Reigns is stood up and Ambrose is just wailing away at Lesnar on the back with a chair. Like it was such a, 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 a an incredible moment. And you and I, Mav, as well, are, are fans of that. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily rate it as one of the best of the decade, but the, the Lesnar match the, with Ambrose at WrestleMania, I think, is is a lot better than people continue to refuse to give it credit for being. Yeah, it's very. Ca- I mean, this is the thing is that I think the fact that Ambrose himself has, has has gone out and said that you know it wasn't what he wanted it to be has maybe influenced people's view of it a lot as well. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly thought on the night and since that the fact that they allowed Lesnar to to, to experience fear of Dean Ambrose was was a, a tremendous bit of character, really. Um, However, we're jumping over what maybe should have been the WrestleMania. Well, we're about to say, yeah, I was about to segue yeah. into that. So, yeah, obviously the roadblock first, first. Well, roadblock was obviously done here as a kind of random, random special event they just kind of magicked up out of nowhere while they were selling Reigns's broken nose. Was it they said? I can't even remember. Um, and uh, they had. Triple H v Ambrose in a 25-minute match over Triple H's World Heavyweight Championship. And 
I mean, it is just absolutely brilliant. As you said before, Plan, the, the commentary track is abysmal. But if oh, you. It's one of the awful, most awful ones I can ever remember. Uh, but if you can, if you if you can get by the uh, the commentary and or watch it on mute, like it's one of Ambrose's finest performances in the WWE ring, and you know, again, a, a great late career Triple H match. I perhaps controversially much preferred this one to the Brian match at WrestleMania 30 for Triple H. Um, I just think it's such a, a, a just outstanding piece of work like you say one of Ambrose's very best and his quality is extremely high very I think what I like about it is it's like the Styles match at Backlash later that year it's very old school you know it's 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 rooted in character it tells a story and it does so in a way that just slowly sucks you in until you're absolutely perched on the edge of your seat there's a bit of an incongruous moment in the middle that you're not sure was a worked botch or just a botch but um, with one of the pimples. but that actually, in, in much like Brett versus Kid fashion, only adds to the kind of the drama and the immersion of the live crowd as well. Um, bizarre, absolutely bizarre when you look back that they that they booked Roman to main event WrestleMania while acknowledging Ambrose was hotter, building Ambrose up as a, as, as Triple H challenger for weeks during WrestleMania, then switching back to Reigns for the big event. I mean, just absolutely. The most mind-boggling, one of the most mind-boggling series. Well, I suppose actually, take my back. In the meantime, totally throwing Wyatt versus Lesnar aside to just shoot on Dean in, in there instead, because you know that, that's your booby prize. Although, what, it's interesting to think, you know, as as dead as Wyatt's career is now, how much more dead it might be had that. But yeah, I think. I think, uh, like Mass has said, should have perhaps been the, the the WrestleMania main event. That certainly, or the women's triple threat at WrestleMania 32, which I think is one of the best of the last 10 years as well. The, the, the other thing, though, right, when you think about this whole dynamic of Triple H, Reigns, Lesnar, uh, Ambrose, Wyatt, was at the time it was kind of like, all right, imagine if Ambrose had won that Royal Rumble, how how crazy that would have been. And actually, you could have done Ambrose Reigns then if you wanted to, um, if you really wanted Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania. But, um, uh, you know, I think at the time, everyone was like, oh, they did that snow roar where oh. they had Ambrose yeah. like walk through the snow to get to Raw and stuff like that. And then after... Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, was the year before? Oh, okay. I'm yeah. misremembering that. But yeah, no, they had. The, I, I, I was just thinking about the car park angle where after Fastlane, like Lesnar attacked Ambrose in the car park, and um, and everyone was kind of like, yes, yes, this is it, this is it. It's going to be, it's going to be brilliant. And I think everyone was imagining that we'd get one of those matches like Lesnar had with Punk very early on, his his return to the company, and when it didn't end up being that, I think that's probably why. You know people's opinion about the um, uh, about the WrestleMania 32 match. You know, kind of are what they are what they are. Um, Plan, you you mentioned the uh, the women's uh, triple threat. Of course, it's funny to think about you know the very different character um, that, that Becky Lynch is now, and the uh, the the very different character um, that uh, that Charlotte is now. But um, it's certainly it's certainly funny to think now that of the three of them, like Sasha is very much the odd one out. It is when you think that Becky felt like the tacked on competent that year. 
Like, if you remember, they did the Charlotte-Becky feud around Rumble and then Sasha came back at the Rumble. Um, and so there was a lot of talk about them <laughs> parlaying into to Charlotte versus Sasha, uh, which we would get more than enough of for the rest of the year. Oh, your uh, God your donut meme comes to mind on that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you want you want you want Charlotte versus Sasha? Have all the Charlotte versus Sasha you can. They must have had twenty five matches that year. <laughs> I would think so, yeah. um, but I think the triple threat match. I, I, if I remember, I might be wrong, but if I remember, I'm slightly higher on it than perhaps you two are. I think it's it's I think it's incredibly good, and I, and it's where I actually you know, and if I ever go back and watch WrestleMania thirty two. Um, it was that first, obviously, super long WrestleMania, but it was also the first one that kicked off the trend of those super long WrestleManias, which is that the first two and a half hours in isolation is, in and of itself, a great WrestleMania. And so, then you get a half uh, hour Undertaker v. Shane match just to kind of, you know, <laughs> disrupt your flow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah quite. Um, so, but, you know, because it comes after the the um, the Ambrose Lesnar match, which is, I think, it serves as a great kind of semi-main event and then you get you get that which is presented like a main event feels like a main event it's got special entrances and the like you know charlotte's got the the robe tribute to her dad and so she's got snoop dogg doing her entrance and stuff and i think the match is you know it's it's again a very kind of safe triple threat match in its design but it that's all it had to be considering the, the kind of the the history that was that was surrounding it as well and i think people severely underestimate how much was was riding on this like if this match failed if this match had, had sucked, if it had been riddled with botches or if people would have felt it disappointed, then it would have really taken the wind out of the sails of the movement that was... They would have forced it on anyway because it was the politically correct thing that they could market it, but it would have really taken the wind out of the sails of that whole movement had this one not been able to live up to, if not surpass the expectations that were riding on it at the time. And, you know, yeah, I mean, so I was just going to say, it was comfortably match of the night um, on a albeit very, very poor WrestleMania. Um, but, you know, they 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 were the one pairing that exceeded... Pairing. What's a pairing with three people, Mav? A, a triplet or a trio. Trio. <laughs> they, they were the one trio. I could be a trio right now. <clears throat> they were the one trio that... It was the one match that really lived up to, you know, ex- uh, surpassed expectations on that night, I think. Whereas everything else was just a little bit underwhelming or just meh. They they stepped up and they delivered. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's yeah anywhere near the greatest uh, amongst the greatest women's matches. But you know, like Plan said, I do think it's very important, and it was you know a really really good match. I I loved it on the I night. Think it still very much stands up to 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 among the greatest women's matches we've seen since 2015 certainly on the main roster um yeah uh, maybe not so much on, on if you include nxt as well but but yeah i feel really? like there's that many great women's matches in nxt that suddenly well yeah. sp- 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 speaking as speaking as uh shana baser's number one cheerleader i'll uh, take literally every match she's ever had over anything that they've done on the main roster really but but um I, I really did enjoy that match. I thought the the, the video package was brilliantly was brilliant produced. It did feel like Mass said like a really important match. The way that they the way that they kind of was it you planned like the way that the entrances and stuff like that. It was it was really well produced. Um, and I thought they did a they did a really a really good job with it. I remember being really pleased they put Becky in it because I was you know um, I was a big Becky 
fan at the time. I thought she deserved to be in it. I felt like they should have called Bailey up from NXT right there and stuck her in it and made it a fatal four-way there because it, it seemed so such an obvious thing to do. But for some reason, they chose to keep Bailey in NXT for a bit longer. Um, always seemed like a bit of an odd one to me. They kept her down for so long. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was very good. Um, so I mean, I guess the the next big thing to to talk about really is is the Reigns v Styles matches, which came out of um, you know, so Styles was the was the new um, hot thing uh, at the time. He came in under much fanfare at the Royal Rumble. He had a, a very nice feud with Chris Jericho. And then, of course, he won a, I think it was a fatal four-way on Raw to, to get the, the number one contendership against Reigns. And they had a pair of really good matches, really good matches, babyface matches nominally, of course, or, you know, back in the era still, of course, when people are going to boo Reigns, whatever you whatever you tell them to do. Um, but it was uh, a, a, great, was, a great singles match and then a great Extreme Rules match. This was like the height of that as well, because this is when people would chant, you still suck. Uh, like sort of recognising they were watching a great match but petulantly kind of sticking to the narrative they adopted anyway it was, it was very silly um, but yeah I think that the first match is good you know the one with the restarts I think that's a good match certainly a match that I think exceeded people's expectations I think the Extreme Rules match is is one of those classics nobody ever talks about but really should like I think it's certainly worthy of being in the discussion of one of the best matches of the decade if not the best certainly the best WWE title match of the decade I'm not saying it is, I think it belongs in that discussion, like I have a really really high estimation of their Extreme Rules match which I think is just really superb fluid and naturalistic and um, not because a lot, of, a lot of the time, when you're watching like no DQ matches, any one of the thousand interchangeable ones named that they give it, um, you feel like the performers are, are almost obligated, chained to the stipulation. Uh, and so, you, you know, they shoehorn in. It's like they crowbar in the kendo stick spots and they crowbar in the chair spots. And it all feels very kind of put on. Whereas this Extreme Rules match didn't do that and it felt just like it just escalated out of control it felt highly personal the way they roamed the arena the the use of weapons felt very natural and the whole thing just felt a lot more uh realistic than in, in relatively speaking than what you would otherwise see in a match of its kind in this day and age and i think the other thing to say about about all of this is that reigns is somebody i think who has chemistry um you know, when he when he finds chemistry with somebody, there's a notable difference in in how good the match is. And I don't think Reigns is somebody, you know, like um, you know, like a uh, a Rollins or a, a Michaels that just has chemistry with everybody. I think um, Reigns is somebody that benefits a lot from the right opponent. And AJ Styles was so hot at that time, and probably in his best run of form, you know, match quality wise that he'd have in the company. And so it was the perfect storm in a way like Reigns needed somebody to get good matches um, from, particularly after the way that main event went at WrestleMania. And uh, and Styles, of course, was, um, you know, was about to go on his house that AJ Styles uh, built gimmick in the brand extension, which 
obviously would kind of very quickly cement his legacy in the company. So it was it was a great it was a great moment for them to have that that kind of um, yeah. pair of matches. It all came together at the right time, didn't it? I remember the, you know you had the Usos and the club lurking around it as well. It was it was it was you know it was a fun little feud as well as a good couple of matches as well. For sure. Um, um, I mean, the, 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 just one more word on that Extreme Rules match. I would, I would give it the ultimate compliment coming from someone like myself, and, uh, maybe even someone like Marvel, which is, I think it, it, it's like a '97 pay-per-view match. You know, it's got that perfect blend of storytelling and uh, just like utter violence. I think it's tremendous. Yeah. No. Agrees. Agrees. Um, all right. So, I mean, Money in the Bank, of course, we had. Um, the brilliant Seth Rollins v Roman Reigns um, match, which I watched the other night, funnily enough, um, just for something to do. Um, and it is, it is just uh, a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful match. Probably, I mean, I'll go so far as to say maybe it's Roman Reigns' best singles match. Um, and one of Rollins' yeah. Rollins best singles matches. Uh, and, of course, it was one of those really funny ones where Rollins had come back as a heel whenever he expected him to come back as a face. Reigns was the face, but it was, being, it was of course, being treated by the fans as a heel. They both did the kind of Kevin Nash-Bret Hart thing at different times, swapping back and forth. And I think it really benefited from that kind of shade of grey that it had where you weren't really sure who you were meant to be cheering for. And I think it benefited from that. Uh, I think what it benefited... Uh, sorry, I was going to say, I think probably what it benefited from was um, Reigns was probably in the doghouse a bit, so they were probably less inclined to push him as the superface in this one because he was, you know, going on his merry way. So it felt so much more balanced than, you know... They, like you say, they both played both sides. It wasn't really a heel or face in it. And, you know, that was my match 2016, hands down. Uh, I absolutely love this one. Main roster for sure. I think I think you know that year. I think I was so taken by all the NXT tag matches that you know the main roster, the main roster sort of stuff. Whenever it was going, oh match of the year, I was kind of like, hey, look, I'll just take these DIY matches over here. Um, but um, but yeah, no, certainly main roster singles matches. This was the best of the year, I think. Um, the, I, I reckon that Roman Reigns is probably the kind of performer where people. Um, through not really thinking about it, passively underestimate his sort of instincts. Like, he's not the kind of performer that you necessarily would think of as one of the best in terms of just having that instinct in the ring and having that instinct for character and stuff in the way that you would explicitly talk about with, say, a Bret Hart or something like that. Um, And it's curious to me because I think this is a match that demonstrates he probably has... Uh, very that he know you know ultimately he knows what he's doing in the ring. There's a reason he's in the position that he's in, and it's not because of the narrative that's been imposed upon rise to the top. Um, and I think this is a match that demonstrates him as, as his absolute best as a performer. I don't know how much of the reason for the shades of grey is down to the, the the circumstances surrounding the suspension, how much of it is down to the performers or not. But ultimately, you know, you've, you've got to have that instinct to be able to pull it off in the ring. And I think that what happened brilliantly was that. Yes, Roman kind of plays, and I think it is more pronounced on Roman's side of the match than it is on Seth's side of the match. Roman plays that sense of um, of villain, really. Um, you know, he acts in the traditional way a heel would act in the match, um, but at the same time, it plays brilliantly into the overarching narrative of the Shield, which is, you know, and this is why. <laughs> 
I think the, the the Shields legacy. You were talking earlier, Mav, about how much of the Shields legacy is owed as a group to their babyface run, and it's an interesting thing to consider as well, just how much of their legacy as a group is owed to their runs as, as single stars as well. Uh, and this is a match that contributes to that, I think, because it it in a weird way, even though it isn't consciously done, it isn't really remarked upon on commentary all that much. It, this is obviously Reigns' first pay-per-view match against Seth one-on-one since Seth betrayed the Shield back in 2014. Uh, and I, I always distinctly remember at the start, he just nails Seth with the right hand, and it just feels like two years of pent-up aggression just suddenly exploding into that right hand to Seth's jaw. And then, you know, the way that Reigns treats him from there is, is very angry and vengeful. So, yes, he's towing that, that, that grey line. He's playing that Bret Hart card. He does it very, very well. But what's so ingenious is that, almost whether it's accidentally or otherwise, what's so ingenious is that it, it still actively plays into him being a good guy because of Seth's actions two years prior and this being their first pay-per-view confrontation one-on-one, maybe their first confrontation one-on-one completely uh, since that betrayal. So And then, of course, the match goes on to be, to be an incredible match in its own right. Seth wins the title, which is a, a result because this was before news broke about Reigns' suspension, which wasn't known on the night. So Reigns winning the title was a shock. Uh, and then, to top it off, Ambrose comes in, cashes in money in the bank to bring that story full circle. On top of that, you've got all three members of the Shield being world champion on one pay-per-view at different points. And there's a photo online of the three of them um, embracing in a hug backstage after the show went off air because of that fact. I mean, there's just so much about this match that is magical. For sure. And of course, it leads into the, the Shield triple threat as well, which, um, you know, is in its own right, as you mentioned earlier on, Planner, um, another one of those matches which sort of redraws the triple threat landscape a little bit from that classic WrestleMania 20 version, does something, um, you know, a bit more uh, original with it. And of course, it's probably only... Uh, not talked about as much as it should be because it, it took place at Battleground and not at SummerSlam, as everybody seems to want it to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, I named the Shield Triple Threat my my uh, pay-per-view main event match of the year in 2016 when I first did my sort of year-end match awards, uh, and I stand by that. I think it's uh, it, a really very complex match. There's so many when you try and sort of. Because, you know, obviously when you when you name it a match of the year and you write a column about it, you've got to sit down and try and review the match somewhat. And trying to wrap your head around how best to describe what goes on in the bell-to-bell time from, you know, a kind of uh, um, a performance aesthetic, from a character point of view, from a storyline point of view, from the historical context, there's so much in that. Uh, it's 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 a weighty tome of a match as well. It is, it is an excellent one. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, I mean, you could you could literally pluck it out of Battleground, pop it at the end of a WrestleMania, change absolutely nothing else about it, and it would be outstanding. Yeah, I think it it, it certainly um, certainly I'd say in certainly in in popular fan reception, it suffers a little bit from the pay view they stuck it on. Um, the most ingenious fact of it as well is that Ambrose wins. So you know, the hardest thing about that match was that I went on holiday. Um, I went on holiday like the sort of the weekend that uh, Battleground was happening and uh, had to go spoiler free for uh, 
you know, for seven days before I could sort of get home, watch it. And then I had to stay spoiler free also for the draft that was happening. So it was, I tell you what, it was a, it was a job of work to remain spoiler free through all of that. I can imagine. <laughs> but I managed it. I managed it. Um, all right. So um, just finishing up on, on, on 2016 before we go for today. And then what we'll do is we'll look at 17 to 19 um, in our last part of this series. But um, obviously you've got some good stuff in the initial days, the brand extension, particularly the AJ Styles v. Dean Ambrose match at Battlegrounds, the two Ziggler v. Miz matches, the Kevin Owens v. Seth Rollins match from, I think it's Clash of the Champions. Yeah. Um, you know, all good stuff the there. Yeah, it's pretty good, but it's, it's not as good as the... The Clash of Champions match between Rollins and Owens is one that I would, to anyone listening, uh, I would implore you to go back and revisit. Like, it's it's one of the best matches of the year. I think perfectly warrants being included in a match about, you know, in a discussion about the best matches of the decade. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, and it kind of came out of nowhere. You know, I think people didn't really expect much from those initial, um, those initial brand exclusive pay-per-views. Um, but there's something. I think Clash of Champions was the first Raw exclusive one, right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's there's something wonderful in, and I think you'll like this map. There's something wonderful in the fact that not only were Seth and Dean the first two picks in the second brand extension, but that they would both go on. I mean, Ambrose's match gets the the greater infamy, but they would both go on to headline the first brand exclusive pay per views respectively as well, and have absolutely cracking title matches. Uh, to do it. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I mean, the Ambrose um, Styles match uh, from Backlash with, with the low blow and stuff, that is, a uh, again, a Bret Hart-esque performance from Ambrose. Um, really, really well done. Um, and, of course, we can't... Do you, know what's, go on. do you know what's wonderful is, I mean, we've drawn that comparison between, you know, the brand exclusive pay-per-views and, and certainly the latter day in your house pay-per-views before. Um, and what's wonderful going on what I just said as well particularly is that you're absolutely bang to rights that is such a Bret Hart match the, the, the Ambrose Styles one and I would I would say that the Rollins Owens one isn't far away from a Shawn Michaels match from sort of you know 95 96 time 95 time uh, specifically um, so again you know just a sort of a fanboy moment there no definitely uh, and you know I think we can't forget how good those Ziggler Miz mid-card matches were yeah. um, those really? I mean, I think I was it the ladder match that that was really really good. At, at TLC have a match. didn't have one. Oh, the the one at TLC was. Did they have a ladder match? No, that one, oh, that was Ambrose and Styles that had a TLC, wasn't it? Uh, so the the Ziggler missed that the career threatening one, and then they had just a normal title match. Um, yeah, I thought they only had yeah two. yeah at TLC at TLC was it. There was one at TLC. No, a ladder match at TLC for the title. Was that really? Yeah. Uh, that wasn't the good one. The good ones were the ones at uh, Backlash and uh, the one after Backlash. I do not remember that ladder match. You're right. I do not remember that at all. Yeah, it certainly wasn't. The, t the, the two really good ones, it was like one was on uh, Backlash and then the other one was on No Mercy. Oh, 
I remember Baron Corbin and Kalisto having a, a fun chairs match. Oh. I remember that. That's literally the only thing from that pay-per-view I can remember. You, you are aware that you just pronounced the phrase fun chairs match. <laughs> I am. And I'm very aware of the fact that I produced that phrase about a match involving Baron Corbin as well. But I, mean, but I mean, Corbin has been screwed over by how much they got his character wrong and how much <laughs> Cena buried him 20 feet beneath the, the ground rather than a lack true. of talent, to be fair to the man. Although although I have to be honest, I am quite enjoying Cena now burying him again. Oh yeah, that, that Instagram post was, uh, <laughs> was, was was tremendous. I can only imagine that this is the first the first kind of um, indication that Cena's going to show up at WrestleMania going, Kurt, I'll wrestle you instead of this jabroni. Um, do you know what they should do they should just have him do the exact same thing as last year like Angle says no he's wrestling Corbin and he just like goes and sits in the front row drinks beer again and gets in the match and gets his ass handed to him again do you know away. I still think it was such a missed opportunity not to just have Cena sit there for the six hours like we have to just like eating, <laughs> eating popcorn. I just think that it would have been. Do you know what's funny is that would have been Cena's greatest underdog story. It would be his greatest. Can he make it to the end of WrestleMania. It, it would have been his greatest WrestleMania performance by by some was, by some yeah. distance. But, but but actually, to be fair to Cena, like he played that like he mugged to the camera so brilliantly in that like hour or whatever it was. Like it, it was absolutely. I just thought comedy gold the whole the whole experience not to mention that meme that then came out of when the ref tells him to go backstage and it's like kids responsibility <laughs> marriage and he runs off <laughs> just uh just a great time to be a wrestling fan that um yeah, well, yeah sorry we we kind of got sidetracked there from from Miz and Ziggler's uh, great matches i can never decide this is a similar to the the shield evolution stuff i can never decide which one of the two i like more um, because if I remember rightly, one doesn't one of them have like a lot of shenanigans. Yeah, Maurice. Maurice is all over, all over the second one, I think. Um, but there's one with like spirits, those like spirit squad interference oh, and stuff. God. And I and I felt like, and I remember because I think that happens in the same one. Maurice is all over because I, I and I don't know that presented, but I remember thinking in 2016 like the one without the shenanigans. Uh, Sorry, the one with the shenanigans I thought was the better match leading up to the point where the shenanigans started. And so it kind of it became a weird thing for me to consider which one I liked. But ultimately you were right what you said earlier. They're both they're both, you know, great in their own their own way. And if, interestingly, um spoiler alert, they both feature sort of quite high in the, the list that Doc and I are working on at the moment of um of, of great mid card matches. I think the thing the only thing was I thought at the time um, because I was sort of too busy with work and stuff to watch much TV at that point. So I, I thought it was really dumb to put that retirement stip on on, on Ziggler because, um, you know, everyone, I mean, everyone seemed to think that it was legit and he really would go. And I was like, there's no way. Like, they just, it, it telegraphs the ending. Um, but then when you watch the match, you do get sucked into it. So, you know, in the end, I, I think, think WWE proved right. But I, th- I mean, I... I... I'm going to disagree slightly in the sense that I think it's another situation I was talking about earlier with Brian, where you knew where you were headed for the conclusion, but I think that that was important for the story. Even though you knew, you know, that you knew Ziggler was going to win, it still added that no, in a weird way, it added to the drama. I don't know. I, I know what. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. You get it contributed to it. You and got I, sucked into I, it, like I say. Like it, you know, I wasn't yeah. a fan of it going in, and then you watch the match. You're like, okay, now I understand why they did that. 
But wasn't that the bizarre night where that was the obvious main event because they decided to kick off with the triple threat WWE title? Yes, they did, yeah. And then they ended up headlining the pay-per-view with Bray Wyatt versus Kane. They did, yeah. Oh, that was when, because it was up against some presidential debate, wasn't it? Yeah. The main event oh, would have been. Oh, okay. So that that's why they put the main event on first. Yeah, it wasn't just like a total mental moment. Let's try this. It, there, there was a reason for it. So they thought, yeah, no one wants to watch Kane versus Bray Wyatt anyway. So we'll we'll main event with that. My God, poor old Bray Wyatt. Like, he ain't half had to put with a lot of nonsense, isn't he? Um, I can't wait to discuss the House of Horrors match next week. Um, oh, I love that. <laughs> of course you do. Um, so the, um, <laughs> the uh, I guess the other thing to talk about just before we go is the Survivor Series 2016 match again plan. We talked about this on uh, together on Sports and saying it is dead, but it has of course the tremendous moment where the Shield um, reunite to uh, to dish out a power bomb. They save Dean Ambrose from being carted off by security wonderful moment um in a match which is just a, a, a brilliant sort of charlton heston epic cast of <laughs> cast of thousands um yeah 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 i mean this this i have the affection for this that a lot of other people have for the 2014 one i thought that this was a a, a startling achievement considering that it's you know it's 50 odd minutes long to this day, when I, and I've rewatched it a few times, to this day, I never feel like I'm there for 50 minutes. I appreciate other people may feel differently, but I never feel like I'm, I'm sat there for 50 minutes because the way that the, the, the narrative is so fluid, the way that the, the landscape of the match continues to shift all the way through is, is exactly what Survivor Series matches were designed to be. That sense of you never really know who's got the advantage because the numbers keep shifting and the, the, the impetus, the tactical impetus keeps shifting. You've got you know, you've got kind of dream match teasers with Rollins and Styles having a having a show off, but then that translates into kind of references back to historic feuds when it moves to Ambrose and Rollins instead. And you've got Braun Strowman putting a health point. You've got wonderful irony in James Ellsworth playing a role to eliminate Strowman. You know, it, it's got this epic length to it, like you say, an epic cast of characters. You've got you know, it goes to a great conclusion with Reigns versus Wyatt and Orton. So you've got a focus on contemporary talent there. Shame at man for once actually plays his role without intruding too much. You know, incredible spots. I mean, everything about it, I think, is 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 a remarkable um, logistical uh, success and a remarkable creative success as well. Even the pre-match promo, which, you know, really sort of I think is effective at playing up to what is essentially a non-existent narrative about brand supremacy but I think it does it really well um, and this was the year of course that kicked off the whole theme of Survivor Series being the brand versus brand pay-per-view which always made sense the first time around and they never did it um, and so yeah I, I have a lot a lot a lot of affection for this match and in fact I named it my what my official 122nd match to see before you die uh, in, a, in a series I did back in 2017. Yeah, it encapsulates everything about how the product changed between 2014 and 2016. Sorry, Maz, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, well, that's absolutely fine. No, yeah, I'm just going to say I pretty much agree with you there, and I'll take that one over 14. Absolutely. Yeah. With you. I, I would as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like the 14 one. I think it's quite a different type of match. Um, but the 2016 one, you know, I, I, I have made it a tradition to re-watch it before Survivor Series 
um, the last two years. Um, I think it's uh, not only for the shield moments, but the way in which they deal shield with moment, of course. and with, the way they deal with all of those characters interacting with each other. I mean, and Chris Jericho is on on inspired form in this one as well, and you know the the oh, gosh, the, yeah. the list of Jericho and all that great stuff. Um, and we could do without the sh- without the show at Marn nonsense, but it is pretty funny to see him get speared out of the air by Roman Reigns. Um, well, I tell you why I don't mind the Shane McMahon stuff in this is because I like the role he plays in, because obviously he was the commissioner of the show, and one of the big narratives on the SmackDown side was the tension between Styles and Ambrose, and he plays a bit part in that, trying to calm them both down, you know, uh, and he and he's not really presented, he is a little bit, but he's not presented too much as being, you know, better than the people he's in the ring with. Uh, which is nice. I mean, you hinted at it there with the list of Jericho stuff. That's the other thing, you know, as well as the shield moment, which is uh, incredible. And one of my remains, one of my favorite shield moments ever. Um, but the, the eliminations are really done in a very intelligent way as well. And they don't, they don't come too too quick because of the long, t- the long length of the match. They're, they're spaced out a lot, and, um, but they all make sense. Like Jericho it's so, so in character for Owens to react the way he does by using the list of Jericho as a weapon. And then it's so in character for Jericho to get pissed off at that. Yeah, it was, it really was um, really, really so many good character moments in that one. I mean, even stuff like the Ellsworth, um, you know, Ellsworth getting chased around by Braun Strowman and all that, you know, there was, there's so many good things in that match. Um, yeah. So I think that's probably uh, a fitting place to, uh, to, to leave, um, 2016 and next time we do this um, we will be looking at, at 2017 to 19 and then maybe what we'll do at the end of that show is each of us maybe can can give uh, a top five of the decade oh. and we'll see how dif- how different our lists are Oof. having done this oh. this little exercise now absolutely absolutely but you know uh, we're here to give the people hashtag content so there we are um, right, so before we get out of here, do listen to the rest of LAP Radio's show. So Sunday we'll have The Dock, Monday we'll have Sandman, Tuesday we'll have One Nation Radio and indeed the Global Wrestling Boys. Wednesday we'll have Plan, our very own plan with Sports Entertainment is Dead. Um, Thursday we'll have Imp with The Perfect Ten and Friday, of course, is Us. So um, from the right side of the pond, we will see you next week. Have a good weekend and... We'll see you later on.